What is happening, everybody? Welcome to episode 25 of season two of the Yellow Card Podcast, proudly presented to you in partnership by Student Union Sports. Make sure to check out studentunionsports.com. Check out all of their content weekly, whether it's basketball, soccer, football, baseball, hockey, whatever it might be. They got all the content for you. I don't even want to talk basketball. I, I, I'm I'm in Boston right now, and by far this is the most um, saddened I've seen Boston be in a very, very, very long time. So I don't even want to talk about basketball right now, but we don't have to because this is a strictly soccer podcast. So we're going to switch gears over to soccer where uh, we just witnessed one of the most exciting final weeks of Premier League football. So let's dive right into it. Jones, you had some uh, you had some wonderful scorelines that hit right on the money. You call for the Crystal Palace versus Nottingham Forest tied at one one. You call for the Brentford uh, uh, upset at the end of the of the uh, year for Manchester City. So Brentford winning one nothing. Uh, um, unfortunately, though, we both wanted Liverpool to win against Southampton, and they couldn't capitalize that. That was by far the most exciting match of the whole entire week, the whole entire slate, where eight goals were scored, four four. What an absolutely unbelievable ending that was to this year's uh, Premier League season. Let's talk about winners and losers of the Premier League season. Let's do a quick uh, overview, and then let's continue to dive into more content because we got a lot more happening this week. So, um, Jones, get us started. Yeah, no, let's let's get it started here. I mean, let's just kind of recap. I mean the Premier League season as a whole. Why don't we talk about the three teams that got relegated, Southampton, Leeds, and Leicester. What are your thoughts on these three teams that have been officially relegated? Yeah, I mean, for Leicester, I feel really bad. They they managed to get things done um, at the end of the season by beating West Ham United. Unfortunately, I, I feel horrible, absolutely horrible for Dean Smith. He only came in with eight matches left to go in the whole entire season um and to have to relegate with this team and now have his future in limbo it's it's just brutal for Leeds United I don't feel bad at all we we both called it that sacking Marcelo Bielsa at the beginning of the season was probably going to be their nightmare and 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 demise that's exactly what happened and for Southampton I mean again another sacking that shouldn't have happened it's having sacked uh, Ralph Hasenhudel uh, yes, we saw it coming. Yes, we knew that it was going to happen, but the replacement just wasn't there. No, no good replacements at all. Nothing well done there. Um, unfortunately, those were the three teams that just really didn't really take care of their season this year, and unfortunately, that's why they are where they are. Um, feel bad for them. A lot of history between those three clubs. Uh, the one that I feel the worst about is definitely. Leeds United, they seem to be back in the pace of being that historic team that they've been in the Premier League, um, just to literally gag it all up half point through the season and not be able to address the problem correctly. So, I think for these three clubs, a lot of changes are coming. I think for Southampton, for example, you need to start and look at potentially – I shouldn't say hitting the reset button, but you should be looking to move some of your bigger pieces to get a little bit of extra money. So like a James Ward-Prowse, uh, Kyle Walker-Peters, like those two names right there for Southampton, I think they need to address whether or not they want to keep them long-term because right now mm-hmm. their value is still very much up. 
And I think I would rather take advantage of that value now than wait for them to play really well in the the EFL this year, this upcoming season. So if I'm Southampton, I'm making potentially one of one or both of those moves right off the bat there. For Leicester, listen, Yuri Tillemans is gone. James Madison's gone. Let Jamie Vardy walk. The real reason why Leicester City is where they are today is because they still haven't found an answer for someone to replace Casper Schmeichel. Mm-hmm. Their goaltending has been suspect all season long, and that is specifically the reason why they are in this position today. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. Um, let's go over to top five of the table. We know who relegated. We know now uh, what it looks like. We know who's getting. Actually, before we go to top five, let's talk about the promoting teams. Uh, we know that uh, for next season, we're going to have... Bits and Companies, Burnley. Yeah, Burnley. We're going to have Sheffield, Sheffield United. And then we have... Um, Lutton Town. Yeah, Lutton Town. Yeah, correct. So those three teams, do we foresee any future for them in the in the Premier League? Do we think that one of them might not be prepared enough to take on the Premier League next year? What, what are we thinking? I think Burnley's going to stay up. Vincent Company and that team, it's just they're going to continue to be a pest that they are. Mm-hmm. The, re- the season before they relegated was an outlier. Yeah, they don't have Nick Pope, but the, t- the team that company has put together is ready for the Premier League next year. I think they're going to be a middle-of-the-table team next year. I don't see them relegating. Sheffield United, I think they're a piece or two away from being able to contend to stay in the Prem next year. Um, I think they need to get McBurney some help and then also address goaltending because I don't think their goaltending is going to be very much mm-hmm. effective in the English Premier League next year. In Luton Town, I'm a little bit excited for, you know, different team to see up. Um, they're build- they have to build a brand new stadium because of the, the capacity that they, they have. Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting to see how they are. Honestly, like I could see them being like the underdog story that Brentford was two seasons ago. Like they could easily stay up, but I wouldn't be surprised if they're like a one-year wonder up here. I would agree. Um, I think for Luton Town, I, I, I just, I personally do not see a future for them. Uh, I'm concerned about their financials. I'm concerned about again capacity in their in their stadium and all that stuff. Uh, I think while it's great that they got promoted to the Premier League, I just think might have been too ahead of their time. Could have stayed maybe another two more years down in the championship just before they come up to the, to the Premier League. That way they're ready, set, good to go. They have financials. They can make up the moves that they need to make. Um, they can sign the players that they need to make. They can sell the players that they need to sell and be able to capitalize. Um, right now, I just don't think they're structurally ready. And I think that's going to be their demise. For Burnley, I agree with you. They have to, have to, have to keep Vincent company on the, uh, you know, behind the wheel. He's going to be the one driving that bus. He knows how the Premier League competes. If there's somebody that you should be fully trusting on, it, it's him. Um, that's, if they do anything different, then bye-bye Burnley. For Sheffield, uh, we know we know exactly where they are. We, we've seen them compete in, in the Premier League. We know that they can be a pest. They need to bring the physicality here in the Premier League in order to stay up. Um, otherwise, sorry, my guys, but like you, you're not surviving the Premier League. Um, 
What? Now that we, yep. Sorry, uh, good. No, sorry, good. Now that we've touched base on relegation zone, promoting zone, let's talk about the top five because uh, for top five, we really didn't expect many of the changes that transpired for top five. We saw potentially, you know, clubs like Tottenham, Liverpool, um, even Chelsea to be part of the top five. And while Liverpool secure at least a spot in European competition, teams like Tottenham and Chelsea completely, completely fumbled away. Uh, Chelsea at one point was very much in the danger of relegating. Um, they managed to stay up at, at number 12 with 44 points, 11, 11, and 16 record, by, by far their worst record in the past 20 years. Um, Tottenham did a little bit better. However, that whole situation of letting go of Antonio Conte, Antonio Conte just kind of blasting the whole entire team into, into the sun, um, kind of left them to be completely out of that top five. They went 18, 6, and 14 with 60 points. They finished eighth right behind Aston Villa by one point. Aston Villa finished in 18, 7, and 13. But then Liverpool, uh, the one team that we saw struggle heavily at the beginning of the season, uh, managed to be able to turn the things around towards the tail end of the middle of the season and then brought it towards the end of the season. And probably one of the better teams towards the end of the season. Um Finishing 19, 10, and 9, 67 points, finishing fifth, securing a spot for the first time um, competing in the Europa League after I don't even know how many years. Um, it's been a while. I think, I think it was like 2002, I want to say. Something like that. It's, it's been a very long time for them. Actually, no, 2015, 2016, Liverpool was in the Europa League. Um, they, oh. I believe, if not, I believe, if anything, they actually went to the Europa League final. Uh, yep, they went against, they, they went to the Europa League final uh, where they lost against Sevilla 3-1 to one at St. Jacob's Park in Basel. Uh, yeah, it was... It, it, it's been some time. It's been some time for Liverpool since they're competing in the Europa League. Liverpool might be the most stacked team in the Europa League next year. Perfect good chance to have some silverware um, around their around their trophy case for next year. Yeah, I listen, it's disappointing to say the least, you know, because we expect so much more. I mean, both you and I had Liverpool as our, as our winners at the beginning of the season. Yeah. And injuries piled up quick. They just couldn't get going out of the gate. And once they started the struggle, it just, boom, they were they were as low as like eight or nine at one point. Yeah. And to be so, quite frankly fact, honest with you, disciplinary-wise, uh, I mean, people like Virgil van Dijk were just not there. Yeah. And, I mean, listen, they finished with a plus 28 goal differential, which I think was third best in the league, which is mm -hmm. still crazy to think about. Mm -hmm. But they, they left – Third or fourth, excuse me, but they left so many, so many points on the board and in some of those key games, and that's in the end what what realistically killed them. Four points out of getting to fourth place over New over Newcastle. Newcastle had a ton of draws. We had nine losses; they had five. That's just the difference maker right there. But they're, they're going to be back next year. I'm not necessarily worried. I think everybody's healthy. I think they're going to add some pieces. Not 
afraid to spend. Cody Gapko got a full year. He's ready to go. Darren Newman, yeah, he should be ready to go next year. They lose Bobby, yeah, but I think Liverpool can bounce back and easily get back into the top four next year and be a title contender. Yeah, so let's talk about um, the top four this year, which were Manchester City, Arsenal, Manchester United, and Newcastle. Um, I'll get us started for Newcastle. Completely uncharted waters in quite some time for Newcastle, finishing with one of the best records in the Premier League, 19-14-5, with an appointment that everybody questioned. Nobody thought for sure that Eddie Howe would be able to manage this whole entire campaign, get Newcastle somewhere in the relevancy of the Premier League. But boy, did that man completely and absolutely just blasted all of those comments and all of that criteria and all those critiques to the absolute outer outer layer of the sun because for that whole entire team everything went right signings right amount of money right right investment right ownership right management right discipline levels right stamina levels everything went right there was not a lot of things that went wrong i mean for newcastle to lose only five matches throughout a whole entire season that's been uncharted waters, I think probably since early 2000s, maybe even 1900, sure. you know, 19, like early 90s. Um, For sure. Then you look at Manchester United. Manchester United, not a lot of people had hope for Ayrton Hogg. They knew that he would be a good appointment. They knew that he would be the right coaching uh, required for this team. They knew that disciplinary-wise he could get this team in the, in the right mindset. But nobody expected them except probably for me because I was delusional and thought that they could win this year's Premier League. Um, Nobody really thought that they would be in that spot. They probably thought they they would qualify again for Europa League, but not for Champions League football. And um, as a Manchester United faithful, I got to say, despite one of the best records we finished with in the past few years, 23-6-9, um, I know Ole Gunnar Solskjaer managed to finish with a second, as well as did Jose Mourinho after winning the FA Cup and the Carabao Cup. But for a team that has had to deal with a lot of um, turnaround and, and 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 not a lot of return and investment, this is this is pretty good. It's it's starting to feel again like maybe there is a a, a glimmer of Manchester United being back. Well, um, I think. Just to counter, I think at the beginning of the year, you know, you and I both saw them as a Champions League club team. I think, you know, just based off of how they looked out the gate with Ten Hag, you know, there was a couple question marks. But I think as the year progressed, we saw nothing but improvement from them. I don't think that, at least for us here on the podcast, both of us thought they were still championship league caliber team from the start of the season. So credit to us for that aspect. I think United has questions just like almost every team does but i think united's questions are a little bit more significant significant than everybody else's because if united can get the pieces that they need in order to be a 10 hog successful they could literally be an odds-on favorite to win the league next year absolutely um i would 100 percent agree i think that uh, right now the the most important and the most crucial thing that Manchester United needs to pin down before the beginning of next season is ownership. Yes. That, and then two players that you need to, one you need to move on from, and the other one you need to decide whether or not you want to move on from. Yeah. 
I think there's actually more like five players, but we so could go just, on and just on and on. Thinking of, just thinking of the keys, the keys. I'm just thinking of keys here. Obviously, I we we could dive into depth about it. I think the key, you already know the first one. You've been you've been trying to push him out the door for the past three seasons is Harry Maguire. Mm-hmm. He needs to go 100%. If United wants to be successful, he needs to be off the team. And then the second thing, you need to figure out what you're doing with David De Gea. If you're keeping David De Gea, cool. Run it back. Again, if you don't want David De Gea, then you need to get him to sell so you can get another goaltender to come back in here. I think if you're Manchester United, while statistically David De Gea did have a great season overall, um, you need to look forward towards the prosperity and future of the club. I don't believe that David De Gea has what it takes to give a future look to Manchester United for the next three to four years which is probably the lifespan that you need in order for Manchester United to be back to winning the the Prem, winning the Champions League, dominating Europe. Um, So do you need to sign a new goalkeeper? Yes, 100%. You need to sign somebody who is a starter, who is not afraid to get their hands dirty. You do not need to sign somebody like like Dean Heaton or whatever else bullshit signings we decide to come up with, like Jack Butler and like, that was a, a stupid signing, stupid waste of money that we never even utilized. Um, so David De Gea, I agree with. Harry Maguire has got to go. Anthony Marshall has got to go. Um, you need to decide what to do for center defensive mids. Do you sell Scotty McTominay to Newcastle, create some funding so you can sign a new piece, potentially Declan Rice or James Madison? Um, you know, you also need to move on and decide what to do about Aaron Juan Bissaka. Do you keep him? Do you sell him? Do you create funds? Personally, I think we should keep him. I think he's by far one of the best right-wingers there is in the Premier League right now that has very good contentive um, performances and that can challenge. But some others don't, don't agree with that. And I think last and not least, you need to figure out the whole Jaden Sancho contract. That is a contract that's tying up a lot of money with very little results. Um uh, don't know, you know, don't know what you would do there. I, you know, for me personally, replace him. Let him go. Uh, don't think he's the signing that we all thought he would be for Manchester United. But uh, who knows? Maybe next season might be his revival. Who knows? Uh, but I agree. I think before we even talk signings, the financial part of this of this club needs to be figured out. Ownership needs to be figured out. So, again, great season for Manchester United. Congratulations. Third place. Nobody... Not a lot of people really expected them to be top three in the Premier League. Maybe a few did, but not a lot of people did. So congratulations to Manchester United again. Arsenal, what an absolutely beautiful story they told. Unfortunately, they did. Coffee's for closers. It would have been drink the coffee. It would have been a beautiful story if they finished it. But coffee, they didn't, coffee's for closers. They couldn't finish their closing story. So maybe next season could be part two of that story. Maybe part three. Who knows? Manchester City, however, holy crap, what a smack in the delay on the whole entire Premier League. Everybody thought for sure that they were not going to win this year's Premier League title. Everybody thought it was between Manchester United and Arsenal. For a very long period of the Premier League, it was between Manchester United and Arsenal. There was only a six-point difference between the two clubs. Manchester City, out of the gutter and out of the blue, managed to turn it around and deliver an absolutely beautiful record with 28-5-5, proving once again that for this era, the coaching era, 
of the Premier League, Pep Guardiola is the absolute greatest in the past decade. No, seriously, it's just—it's just there was nothing left to say about that. You you can question it all you want. You can say that Mancini, uh, that Mancini did a great job with Manchester City, and that's why they're they're relatable. No, it yes, did he do a great job when the season that they beat QPR? Absolutely, but from there on, Guardiola has given Manchester City the relevancy that they desperately needed. Well, this is. This is the biggest thing. And yes, we can talk about their their success and how they have progressed as the best dynasty in the Premier League in the past 50, 50 years. However, one of the big things that they've struggled with is winning out of Premier League competitions. Mm-hmm. Champions League coming up, and they have the FA Cup. Both of those are... There's potential they could win both. There's also potential that they could lose both. So... It's going to be a hit or miss either way. So, I we're going to dive in the FA Cup in a couple minutes, but yeah, we need I to think yep. one thing that I wanted to um, give you a shout out on just before we dive into that is the you know looking back at the predictions we had at the beginning of the season, you know there are some we got really really wrong. There are some we got you know we're really really close, but there was one person that got one team exactly right in the table and that was Diego. Diego what team do you think just out loud what team do you think you got exactly right? Let me take a look real quick. Let me snoop around the the, uh, snoop around the thing. So I had one two three four teams that I was one spot off of Diego had one that he was one spot off of two actually excuse me but he had the one that was right on the nose, and I think that's where he gets a little bit more credit than I do in that. So what was the one team you got exactly right? I don't know, to be honest with you. Maybe Aston Villa? Incorrect. You had Aston Villa actually – where did you have them? You had them finishing 12th at the beginning of the year. Maybe Wolves? Nope. Wolves you had in the top 10 for whatever reason. I don't know. There may be Everton. Other than that, I don't know. Nope. Uh, it is, in fact, the team that at one point you and I was like, there's no way that they're going to be good again. And they're good. Crystal Palace. You had oh, predicted Crystal Palace at 11th. Wow. I had them in 10th. You had them in 11th. Wow. So big shout out to you. Give well, you the respect you. you deserve there. And literally, that was by one point. Because Chelsea was right behind him. Mm-hmm. So th- th- thank God to Chelsea. All right, let's dive into the FA Cup. Manchester Derby FA Cup. United, C- City, both already have a trophy this year. Who gets the second one? Well, we got to, you know, we got to give the value of history here. It is the first time in FA Cup history where the title is going to stay in one city and one city only. It's a derby. It's Manchester City versus Manchester United. Personally, for me, I think that the priority for Manchester City and after seeing how tired those legs are against a team like Brentford, personally, I I, I am going to be biased, and I think that the title goes to Manchester United. I don't know what just happened here. Yep. Yeah, all right. 
Barca, I think that the title goes to Manchester United this year simply and only because that is the only like massive title that Manchester United has to compete for right now. And so, therefore, I think there's more desire and hungerness out of Manchester United than there is out of Manchester City. Now, for City, on the other hand, you never know. Poke the wolf, and that wolf is coming to hunt at you. And I think that's where Manchester United has a big problem. They're big pokers, but they can't seem to finish and capitalize. So, personally, for me, I think this is a final that goes all the way to penalties. Penalties will be the deciding factor. And this, I think, where Manchester United can get can get things done. Listen, I I think if I'm Manchester City, right, and I'm sitting here, and I'm looking at these two potential trophies that I can win, mm-hmm. the Champions League is the one that means more. Of course, it's the one trophy that Pep hasn't got got for City in his tenure at Etihad. So. Mm-hmm. I think I don't even think it goes to penalties. I think United's just going to come out and they're going to attack the tired legs early. They're going to jump out to a lead, and I think United's going to win two to one. Final score: Marcus Rashford scoring the game winner in like the 85th minute. But I like Manchester United to get their second piece of hardwood of the season and to carry on a little bit more momentum for them going into the 23-24 campaign. Yeah, I would agree. I would 100% agree with that. Um, Let's go on to the Europa League final because this is an exciting final. We have a team that's coming back to defend their title. And then we have another team that some predicted and some didn't. So we'll start with you on your takes on the the Europa League final. Listen, this to me, man, I mean, we're sitting here. We're thinking about what needs to get done here. All right. And I just think back to 2013, a couple months after Chelsea beat Benfica in the Europa League final, Jose Mourinho said, I didn't want to win the Europa League. It was a big disappointment for me. I don't want my players to feel the Europa League is our competition. So for that, it makes me, it makes it hard for me to believe that Roma is going to be at their tip-top game because of how Mourinho views the Europa League. But for Roma, it means more for them if they win this because it gives them confidence going into next year, whether or not Mourinho is there or not. So I just, like you said, Sevilla is just a different animal. They've literally won six of these Europa League trophies since 2006, which is something we have to put into consideration there. They're, Quest for seven. I just... I'm going to go with Sevilla in a close one. I just see them getting up for this game quicker than Roma does. And I think with Sevilla getting up quicker, I think it hurts Roma the longer the game goes. I would say definitely. Um, I think for Jose Mourinho, these past two seasons at Roma have been a humbling effect for him and have rekindled him back to the Jose Mourinho that everybody fell in love with when he was coaching Porto. Um, Yes, he is the special one. He is a master of football. He knows what he's doing. He's a phenomenal coach, highly respected, highly regarded, and all that stuff. 
The only thing that I can think of for, for, for Roma that could absolutely go wrong is their discipline. Um, if they don't play in a mature manner against Sevilla and just fall into the whole physical aspect thing thing of the game that Manchester United failed, and that's where they, they that's where they fell against Sevilla. Um, then yeah, the, the title's out the door for Roma. But I think for Roma this year, and, and I think for history purposes, Mourinho would be the only coach in the world to have ever won all European trophies. So I think for that aspect, this this is this, this brings a little bit more oomph to the whole final, right? Um, and, and for a lot of those players, this is a massive European final. Not a lot of them are going to get another chance to play another European final. Um, so I think I think this is a complete different aspect than what we saw against than what we saw in Chelsea. Chelsea, you know, in thirteenth had a roster that should have absolutely dominated the Premier League, and they choked it. Yeah, it wasn't the coaching, it wasn't the ownership, it was the players themselves, and they didn't own up to it. It was actually Mourinho who ended up owning up to it. In this year's Europa League final, eight years—I mean, ten years later—this is a roster that. Jose Mourinho only had $2 million to work with. And he's managed to make it a beauty and make it something worth talking about. So I think this title in itself means a lot more to Mourinho than what it meant 10 years later, 10 years ago. Okay. You're kind of convincing me now a little bit. I won't lie. So take that with a grain of salt. So, yeah, I mean, listen, we'll have to wait and see, I guess, what transpires there. But there was one thing it has to do with... Oh, and by the way, I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. One thing that we also need to focus on as well is that for the past five years in a row, the consensus has been that the most competitive leagues around Europe have been the Spanish League and the Premier League. This year, that narrative completely changed. And right. by the way, we need to give it to Italian football as well. And this is Correct. why we see Roma in the final. This is why we see Inter in the final. This is why we saw a, a history-making uh, campaign by Napoli happen this year. So a lot is on the rise for the Italians. This is why this is this was going to get into my final point of the show tonight. So I saw a thing today, right? So over the last since, let's see. So thinking about this out loud. So since, let's see. So one, one, two, three, one, two, three. Since 2015, 2016. Right in the Champions League, mm-hmm. 2015-2016 to 2017-2018, there was a French manager that won the Champions League title. 2018-2019 to 2020-2021, we had a German manager win the Champions League title. Last year, we had an Italian guy win. Does that trend continue? And if it does... That's good for Inter Milan, mm-hmm. and that's good for a bunch of other teams next year that are looking to win the Champions League, probably for the first time in a very, very, very long time mm-hmm. as well. So just something to, to kind of look out for for the future of Champions League football for, ne- for next season and this, and in a couple of weeks when the final plays out as well. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Um, final thoughts for the night. Any 
closing statements that we want to make? Uh, let's just have an interesting week of soccer with we have Europe League final, FA Cup final, the last set of games in the Serie A and La Liga, and I believe Lugue won. So mm-hmm. let's just end end the regular season of soccer on a good note, and let's di- let's get ready to dive in this summer, baby, because it's going to be a ride. I agree, and I for my closing statement, pay attention to two big clubs to let go of massive pieces: Borussia Dortmund, PSG. Correct. I can say. Uh, well, with that said, signing off from episode 25, season two of the Yellow Card Podcast. Your host, Diego Galvez, accompanied by, as always, co-host Chris Jones. Thank you all so much. Make sure to check out and support studentunionsports.com. Until then, follow us on Twitter, Podcast Card on Twitter. Um, make sure you're following us on TikTok and everything else. Until then, see you all later. <laughs>